I need to ask you something. Are you okay? Like for real, are you okay? And I'm asking because I know that everybody's instinct when someone asks you that is just to say, I'm fine or I'm good. Yeah, I'm okay. But honestly, are you? Because I just keep hearing more and more from women that they are not feeling all that great. And we know statistically that a lot of us are just not thriving. 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. 30 million women are suffering from thyroid dysfunction. One in eight couples is seeking fertility treatments. Up to 13% of women have PCOS. Almost a quarter of all women are getting diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And this is just not okay. One of the biggest culprits causing these hormone imbalances is chronically unbalanced blood sugar. It's happening to over 88% of us and it's making us sick. But here's the thing. When you learn how to balance your blood sugar, you can experience more energy, less anxiety, regular and less painful periods, optimized fertility, healthier metabolism, clearer skin, better sleep, and so much more. I know because I went from being a total sugar addict who was stuck in the cycle of unbalanced blood sugar and my hormones were completely out of whack to learning how to balance my blood sugar and healing my PCOS, reducing my anxiety, improving my sleep, getting pregnant naturally, and just feeling amazing in my body. And that's why I'm so passionate about teaching women how to balance their blood sugar. It is the key to unlocking so many things that make us feel good and thrive in our health. And I want you to learn how to do it too, which is why I am so excited to invite you to join my free masterclass. It's not you, it's your blood sugar. How your unbalanced blood sugar is causing your mood swings, weight gain, painful periods, and fertility challenges, and what you can do about it. This topic is so important to me, and I really want you to be able to join in live. So I'm actually giving you two options for when to join, either Sunday, March 3rd, or Thursday, March 8th. Click the link in the show notes to sign up and spots are limited, but I will tell you guys, my podcast listeners are the first ones to be hearing about this because I love you guys. I have such a special place in my heart for you. I feel like the podcast is where you really get to know me and you get to learn on a deeper level. And if you love what you're hearing on this show, you're going to love the masterclass because there are visuals there to help you really understand it and tie it together in a different way. The live part is going to be so much fun because we're going to be able to chat. You'll be able to ask me questions and I absolutely cannot wait. So make sure that you grab your spot and reserve it. Click the link in the show notes and I cannot wait to see you there. Hello, my friends. Today, we're talking all about endometriosis. So for all of my endo warriors out there, this episode is especially for you, but I think all women can benefit from a lot of the content that you're going to hear in this episode. If you don't know, endometriosis is a condition where endometrial tissue is growing outside of the uterus. And for many women who experience it, that can result in a lot of pain, sometimes just during their periods, but also it could be throughout the entire month. And because pain is one of the main symptoms that drives women to go to the doctor, unfortunately, it's often dismissed as normal, and it can take up to 10 years to get an endometrius diagnosis. And this is a really serious condition that has a lot of health risks with it. So it's really important that women do get diagnosed and learn how to manage it. And my guest today, Alyssa Chavez, is going to shed light on how women can actually thrive with endometriosis and heal from the inside out and use diet and lifestyle modifications to manage all of their endo symptoms. 
Alyssa is an endo warrior turned nutritional therapy practitioner and a restorative wellness practitioner. She helps women through her Thrive with Endo one-on-one coaching program to get to the root cause of their endo symptoms like bloating, pain, fatigue, and infertility by healing from the inside out. Alyssa is so passionate about helping women to be able to live their life to the fullest and truly be able to live the life of their dreams. Listen into this episode to hear Alyssa share the definition and symptoms of endometriosis, the struggle of getting diagnosed and the role of surgery in endo, the underlying causes of endometriosis, the connection between gut health and endometriosis, simple steps you can take to improve digestion and hormone balance, the impact of birth control on endometriosis, the importance of stress management in managing endometriosis, and the possibility of reversing endometriosis, plus so much more. I know that you guys are going to learn a lot in this episode, and please, if you know someone who is struggling with endometriosis, send this podcast episode their way. I think they'll benefit so much. And without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Alyssa. Welcome to the About Health and Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Allen, a recovered sugar addict turned certified nutrition coach on a mission to help women learn how to balance their hormones and optimize their fertility. On this podcast, we have conversations with experts about all things health, hormones, wellness, nutrition, and more to give you the information, tips, and tricks you need to take control of your health and feel amazing in your body. I am so happy that you're here and I can't wait to dive in. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me on today. I am super excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. I was just telling you off air, I feel like endometriosis needs to get more attention. We need to be talking about it more. So I'm so glad that you're here and you're going to share so much with us. Yeah, agreed. It is a much needed topic. It's affecting as many as one in nine women these days, which is a lot. So, and there's probably so many people that have no idea they even have endometriosis. So I think there's a lot we can dive into today. Totally. I mean, I think a lot of people don't even know what it is. So can we like start all the way at the beginning and just tell us what is endometriosis? The basic idea with endometriosis is that it is a condition where tissue that is similar to the endometrial tissue that grows or the lining that grows within your uterus each month ends up growing in other parts of your body. It's not the exact same tissue. And that's, that's a common confusion that I hear, but it's a tissue that's very similar. It can grow usually within the pelvic region. So oftentimes it's found places like your ovaries or the outside of your uterus, but it can be found on your bladder, on your bowels, as far away as your diaphragm, your liver, your appendix. I mean, there are all kinds of different places it can be found in your body, sometimes even outside of the pelvic region. And typical symptoms are number one, it tends to be pain for most people, although believe it or not, not everybody, but it's a very common symptom. So that can be period pain, that can be pain with ovulation, that can be pain with intercourse, even pain with bowel movements or bladder uh, movements. It can be all kinds of, show up in all kinds of different ways, but that's one of the main symptoms that shows up as well as a huge amount of gut symptoms, which we can dive into a little bit more later and hormone imbalances and all kinds of different things that go on in your body. But that's the basic idea of it. 
Okay. You explained that so well. And it sounds pretty simple in the sense that, listen, people could have a lot of pain. They could have all these symptoms. If there's this growth outside, you know, it shouldn't be that hard to diagnose, but it is. So can you talk a little bit about what the diagnosis for endometriosis looks like and why is it so hard for women to get diagnosed when they are suffering from endometriosis? That's a wonderful question and something that I definitely think needs to be talked about so much more. I was amongst the many, many women out there who it took me from the onset of symptoms until I received a diagnosis was about 10 years. And that's about the average, right? That's normal. That's crazy. Yeah, that is, unfortunately, that is normal. Seven to 10 years is the average and that's just average. So for some people that could be more than that. So I think there's a variety of reasons behind that. Well, let me first go into how diagnosis happens, because I think that that's, <laughs> that's a big piece of it. So at this point in time, the only way to definitively diagnose if you have endometriosis is having a laparoscopic surgery, which is a big deal. I, I had that surgery done about a year and a half ago now myself, and you know, I had it had been suspected in me for years based on ultrasound. I was one of the supposedly lucky ones who was it was able to be seen on ultrasound. That's not the case for everybody, but it's you're actually having to go under and have incisions in your body. And even though it's laparoscopic, meaning the incisions are very small, it's still considered a relatively major surgery because of all that they're doing inside of your abdomen. So that's a big part of it right there, because just going into surgery is a big deal and trying to find the right doctors to do it and everything. So that's definitely a piece of it that can delay diagnosis. But honestly, I think a big part of it is a just lack of awareness. I know that was a big part of it for me for so many years early on was just I was taught that period pain is normal and you just take some pills for those couple of days and move on with your life and eventually end up on birth control, which I did all of the above. And I never even went to seek help. <laughs> so that's a very common story that I hear. And then of course, there's a lot of medical gaslighting going on where people are just aren't listened to. They go in and see a doctor and they're just told, oh, well, you know, that's normal to have period pain here, have a birth control prescription and get on with your life. And yeah, that's, I think the biggest piece of that. I know for a lot of women, well, it's funny because when it comes to period pain, I remember the first time I really learned, you know, it's not really supposed to hurt when you get your period, I was mind blown. I'm like, what are you talking about? Is that even possible? And when I made all of these changes, I really do experience now, I would say completely painless. Sometimes I don't even feel anything in my abdomen. Maybe there's like a little tenderness. I would say it's like a 0.5 on the one to 10 scale of pain. It's really very, very mild of tenderness, not pain. And when people are suffering from pain from endometriosis, it's not just like, oh, my stomach hurts. Like, Tell us a little bit about the pain and how is it impacting people in their day-to-day -day life usually when they have endometriosis? And like anything, there's a wide range of how much it can impact people's lives. For some people, for example, they may only experience pain during their period. For some people, they may experience pain throughout their entire cycle, which that can obviously have huge impacts on your life right there. If you wake up every day and you're in pain, that's big. That's chronic pain right there. And that is... Um, it can have huge impacts on your life that impacts your career and your relationships and 
I mean, what you choose to do throughout the day, it impacts everything. Uh, but as far as the, the level of pain, I can certainly speak to my personal experience with it. I was, I typically had mostly had pain during my period. I would sometimes have pain during ovulation, but I thankfully didn't have that period or that pain all throughout the month. But when I was on my period, when I was really in the thick of trying to figure out what was going on in my body and was really struggling with endometriosis, I was in such a level of pain that I physically could not get my body to stand upright. I mean, I was just hunched over, you know, if I had to walk around the house, I just had you know hands on knees or I would just crawl. <laughs> if I wanted to get up the stairs in my house, I was having to, to crawl up the stairs and there was no, like just picking up my foot to put it up on the next stair was way too painful. Um, so yeah, tender doesn't even begin to describe it. I mean, that level of pain is, is really intense. Um, and even coming back to trying to go up the stairs, I would have to rest probably four times on my way up and it's a two-story house. It's not like I live in a mansion over here. I mean, just, I'd walk, I'd crawl up three stairs and have to rest before I could go the rest of the way. And it was just an intense level of pain that kind of certainly was kind of centered more around my uterus area. I had a large endometrioma on my right ovary. So that's where a lot of that pain was, but it was also kind of very generalized all around my abdomen where it would just, I would get this crazy bloating and pressure and just feel so uncomfortable. It, it was uh, uncomfortable even to eat because just eating adds that extra pressure to your abdomen. I mean, it's, it's a very intense level. And I know that that's true for many, many people as well. Right. Wow. That sounds really intense. I would love to shift into talking about some of the underlying root causes of endometriosis. So I know you talk a lot about the gut impact, um, how our hormones impact endometriosis. And I know it's not like a, there's one specific clear way that endo develops, but can you tell us about what are some of the underlying causes for endometriosis? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's such a wide range. I think we all wish there were a very simple one size fits all solution where if you just address this one thing or find this one underlying issue in your body, then all will be well. But the truth is that it's really, I really believe that it's a very multimodal approach that works best. It's for me, I know in my healing journey and with the clients that I work with as well, what I really see is that it's approaching your body as a whole because endometriosis as at the end of the day is a whole body disease. It's not just a reproductive disease. So we're really looking at your body as a whole, but some of the very common things that I see that I end up addressing with pretty much everybody who comes into my practice Definitely gut health is a is very high priority for me. Um, there is a huge link between your gut health and endometriosis, even just gut health and hormone balance in general. But speaking specifically to endometriosis, there have been studies showing that upwards of 90% of women with endometriosis have gut symptoms of some sort as well. And in my mind, there's just no way that that is a coincidence. Right. <laughs> I know that gut issues are very prevalent in general anyway, but that just seems like a very, very high correlation there. So I see a lot of symptoms like bloating is, is a very big one. There's a symptom known as endobelly, which is that just crazy bloating that a lot of people experience 
sometimes around your period, but for many people, just all throughout your cycle as well. Um, some people will get IBS type symptoms and things like that, where, you know, diarrhea, constipation, just general digestive upset. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that go, can go on in there. But also one of the really important things to note is that about 70 to 80% of your immune system lives in your gut. And while there's a lot that we don't know about endometriosis, a lot of studies have shown that there is a huge correlation or connection between the development of endometriosis and your immune system. There seems to be some sort of immune system dysfunction component in there. And so helping to bring your gut back into balance can really help to calm down that immune system. And what's going on in your gut really ends up impacting everything else in your body, right? So when I'm talking about bringing your gut back into balance, what we're really looking at is all kinds of things. It can be calming down inflammation in your, in your gut, which can come from hidden food sensitivities going on in there, which can impact the lining of your gut, which can trigger your immune system to fire. And so, you know, pinpointing what exactly those food sensitivities are so that you, you can know what foods are working well in your body and what aren't. It can be optimizing your digestive function as a whole, right? Looking at how your digestion is working. Are you breaking foods down well? Are you breaking down proteins and fats? Are you producing enough enzymes so that as the food works its way through your digestive system, you don't have these large undigested food particles that can be irritating to your the lining of your intestines. We're also looking even at microbial balance. There's in your in your gut, there are different types of bacteria that live in there, which is a good thing. <laughs> but we want those bacteria to be in balance. We want the there's we think of it as like the good gut bugs and the bad gut bugs. I like to picture it like a like a garden, right? We when you're planting a garden, you want to have all kinds of beautiful flowers or vegetables or whatever it is that you're growing. Those would be like the good gut bugs, but we don't want to have a whole lot of the bad gut bugs. That would be like the weeds in the garden. <laughs> so it's a matter of balancing out what's growing in there, what you're feeding with the, the food that you're eating, what might be developing in there so we can bring things back into balance. And again, that can help to really calm down your immune system and allow your, your immune system to have the resources when there are things happening in your body, like for example, endometriosis lesions growing in places that it shouldn't, in theory, that's something that your immune system should be taking care of. But when it's overwhelmed by all of this stuff going on in your gut, sometimes there's just too much and the, the troops just can't handle it all at one time. And so some things get left untaken care of, which is oftentimes the case with endometriosis. So that's one of the huge pieces that I like to address and talk about when it comes to bringing your body back into balance. Um, but there's a lot of other pieces as well. Things like uh, definitely you mentioned hormones and that's a huge part of it as well. There's been a lot of studies on hormones as well and how the growth of endometriosis and hormones really play into each other. Right. And like anything, there's a lot still left to be uncovered and studied when it comes to endometriosis, but finding balance in that area can be huge, right? And so just working on your gut health alone can be super helpful for the hormones because your hormones have a huge connection with your gut health, but also things like keeping your blood sugar balanced. It seems like such a simple little thing and, and it is to an extent, 
but that can actually help keep your hormones in balance as well. Um, managing your stress is actually a huge one. If your body's under a whole lot of stress all the time, you're constantly being bombarded by these stressful situations or you know, your mind is always kind of going crazy with that stuff, that can also have huge impacts on your hormones, can have huge impacts even on your gut, really on your whole body. <laughs> so those are just some of the main pieces that I really talk about and address that can have those huge impacts on endometriosis, on it continuing to progress and grow or the opposite on helping to kind of calm things down and reduce the overall inflammation in your body and be able to bring things back into balance. That was a really, really helpful explanation because I think a lot of people don't understand the gut piece, especially like why would your gut microbiome have all of this stuff to do with your reproductive and pelvic area? And I know a lot of it also has to do with the way that estrogen is metabolized and cleared out of the body because, correct me if I'm wrong, estrogen does fuel a lot of the growth, right? Estrogen actually is a growth hormone. It helps us develop that thick uterine lining so that in case we want to get pregnant, you know, there's a nice thick uterine lining for that embryo to attach onto. So how does it, can you explain to our listeners like how estrogen almost go, gets it wrong when you're dealing with endometriosis? It is very common with endometriosis to have what's known as estrogen dominance. People think of that as being just, you have too much estrogen in your body. What that really means is that, and that can happen of course, but what we really refer to when we're talking about estrogen dominance is more the balance between your estrogen and your progesterone. So those two work to balance each other out in your body, right? The progesterone really helps to counteract the estrogen. We need both of them in our bodies, but when the estrogen levels are way higher than your progesterone levels, and of course they both fluctuate throughout the cycle, we're talking kind of looking at it throughout the entire menstrual cycle, then it starts to become a problem. Then we end up having too much growth, right? Because yes, you'd want that estrogen to help to grow the, the uterine lining each month, but when that estrogen is getting out of balance, there's too much of it in your system or there's too much in relation to your progesterone, then yes, it can absolutely contribute to the growth of endometrial lesions because it is, like you said, a growth hormone. It's related to anything you think of as being growth in your body, right? Growing that uterine lining, even the growth of your breast tissue is related to estrogen, right? There's so many things that it impacts. And yeah, you were talking a little bit about the connection between that and your gut health. And that's a huge part of it for many people. So this is where I'm going to, you know, try to tie some of these pieces together for everybody. For example, if you struggle with constipation, which is very common, I see that all the time. What that really means is that your motility is slow, meaning the food isn't moving through your digestive tract as quickly as it should. There's a slowdown happening, which can actually have huge impacts on everything in your body. And your hormones are one of those because what your body does, it's your body is very intelligent and very intuitive. And so there's all kinds of feedback loops in, in, uh, that happen in your body where we, the hormone glands connect back with your brain. And there's a, there's a conversation that happens within your body telling it, okay, we have too much estrogen. We need to start to take some of this out of circulation. 
And so your body being as smart as it is, starts to take some of that estrogen out of your system. The liver packages it up in a way that is safe for your body to eliminate. And it ends up then being eliminated through your poop, right? which is how it should function. However, if you are experiencing constipation and you're not pooping every day like you should be, then that estrogen can end up being reabsorbed and recirculated in your system and that can end up contributing to those estrogen dominance symptoms. So there's I'm another- so glad you brought that up because I feel like a lot of people don't know this and that's a really easy thing that you can look out for. Like everybody knows when they do and don't go to the bathroom And that's just something that's very easy for you to pay attention to in terms of, you know, not just endometriosis, but your general hormone balance. Like if you're not going to the bathroom every day, that's a red flag. That's a sign that, hey, something is going on. Your motility is not moving as it should be, like you said. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's actually, you know, you don't have to go get surgery to check that out. You can just know if you're going to the bathroom regularly or not. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And and there's the cool thing is that there's a lot that you can do. I mean, Of course, when it comes to endometriosis and hormone balance, there's a lot we can do really in depth to look at what's going on in your body and to help to support all of these systems to function correctly. But there's also some really simple, actionable steps that you can start doing today. Like, for example, how well are you chewing your food? (laughs) Believe it or not, that can have huge impacts on whether or not you are able to have that bowel movement every day, right? Because if you're not chewing your food thoroughly, you're not setting up your, your digestive system further down the tract to be able to do what it needs to do. So step one, sit, well, let me even rewind before you even chew your food, (laughs) sit down when you're eating your food, take some deep breaths so that you're calming down your body. You're bringing your body into what we call a parasympathetic state, meaning it's in that relaxed state. I like to always say rest to digest. (laughs) You're never going to digest your food well if you're eating on the run, if you're eating while you're stressed or you're sitting in front of the computer or or all of the things that we do, that's right there going to have impacts on your digestion. So if if you notice that that's a regular issue for you where you're regularly are constipated, you're not pooping every day, things are just feeling a little off, Maybe you're even just experiencing a lot of bloating. Things just don't feel like they're moving through well. Step one is that. Sit down, calm down, eat in that calm state, chew your food thoroughly. I'm talking like 20 to 30 chews per bite before you swallow it. That allows the enzymes that are in your saliva to help to mix with the food as well as just physically breaking it down with your teeth. And that can have huge impacts right there right? And before you even swallow it and the rest of your digestive system takes over. In addition to that, just are you drinking enough water, right? We typically don't want to drink a ton of water during a meal because that can dilute your stomach acid and some of the other enzymes that are actively trying to digest at that time. But throughout the rest of your day, stay well hydrated because we call them gastric juices, right? The the juices in your stomach and in your body that help to break down the food but juices, as the name implies, and require some kind of liquid. <laughs> so Stephen, just that, staying hydrated, drinking plenty of water throughout the day, just taking sips all day long as you go through the day, uh, that can also be a huge supporter of helping your digestive system to function optimally and help to move things through the way that they should so that you can 
eliminate every day and eliminate those excess hormones and just little simple steps like that can have huge impacts. I want everyone to literally rewind and go back and listen to it. Cause I know sometimes you could hear chew your food, drink water and people are like, okay, yeah, sure. And I know that I, I tend to be a fast eater. I'm a fast everything. I just like want to do everything so quickly. And when I really sat and tried to practice this, like I'll do a two minute breathing exercise and chew my food, my food 30 times before I swallow. I feel the difference in digestion. It's night and day. And it's hard. It's really hard. It actually goes so against my nature to do it, but it it will change the way you digest food. So for people who are like, okay, that sounds so simple that it can't actually do anything. It, it really does. It really makes such a difference. Yeah, I agree. I'm right there with you. I'm the same way. I was, I've always been a fast eater. I just want to finish my meal and get on with the day. I've got things to do here, but I have had the same experience. And Honestly, it's something that's still a challenge for me. I don't know if it's, you feel the same with that. Like I still have to remind myself every time I sit down, okay, stop, take a moment, sit down, breathe, chew your food. Because I do realize the importance of that and what a difference it's made in my body. And, you know, it's one of those things too. We just, I think so many of us, maybe especially as women, we tend to be these high achievers and we, you know, we want to go to the advanced steps and and do all the, the cool protocols and things. And yeah, that may be necessary for some people, but there's so much that we can do that is so simple that we might not be doing, right? Are you drinking water? We all know we should. I don't think anyone's probably mind is blown by hearing that you should drink water, but are you really? <laughs> We know that we should chew our food, but are we really, right? We know that we should be getting outside and moving our bodies and getting sunshine and fresh air, but are we really? Because if you're not starting with that foundational stuff, you're missing out on just a huge piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. I think that's really important. And I want to just back up for a second because I know you said when you were diagnosed, one of the treatment options that was proposed to you was to go on the pill. I think that's really common for a lot of women who have endometriosis symptoms. Can you talk about how the pill does affect symptoms and then also how it plays a role in these underlying things that you're talking about, like the gut health piece, the hormone balance, because I think it's really important for people to understand just when they're making that decision, what, you know, what is actually happening and making a, a an informed decision. Oh, yes. I have a lot to say about this. I'm so glad you asked this question. (laughs) Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about birth control in particular, and it's one of those things. I'm not going to go out and tell anybody whether you should or shouldn't be on birth control. At the end of the day, it's an individual decision. Everybody is different, but I am a big fan of exactly what you said, making an informed decision. And I think that that is something that's so lacking in our society. I was on birth control myself for about seven years straight and a relatively short timeline because I know other people who have been on birth control for 20 years <laughs> without ever coming off of it. And yeah. Okay. Where do I begin on this? Let's start with just why birth control is often given for endometriosis and also the impacts that it has on it. So The reasoning behind that is basically the birth control contains synthetic hormones. It contains synthetic forms of sometimes just progesterone, sometimes a combination of progesterone and estrogen. 
Those are not actual hormones, but they are synthetic versions of our hormones. And what that does is it basically, those synthetic hormones end up connecting to receptor sites on our cells that are intended to recept the hormones and that and that's how our body communicates right the hormones attach to those receptor sites that then tells the cells what to do and so on and so forth but when those synthetic hormones are attaching to those receptor sites instead it actually blocks our natural hormones from being able to attach to those receptor sites which then ends up uh just blocking our natural hormone production in general, because your body is sensing that, oh, you're already have enough hormones. We don't need to go on producing these hormones. So it basically shuts down your body's natural production of hormones, which may sound amazing from the outside when you first think about it, because you're like, oh, well, if estrogen is feeding my endometriosis and I'm blocking that estrogen production, then that's great, right? <laughs> and that's kind of what we're taught. Well, what's really happening, like I said, is that you're blocking the hormones, the natural hormone production in general. And that means that you're not having a menstrual cycle at all, a natural cycle. Some people may still bleed while you're on the pill because they'll go off. Um, they'll maybe be three weeks on a pill, one week off so that supposedly you have your period during that time. But what that really is, it's a is it is a withdrawal bleed. It's your body going, oh, I don't have that those hormones in my body anymore. Okay, I guess we'll just bleed right, right now because I'm missing that. It's not a natural menstrual cycle. So your body is missing all of those benefits of your natural hormones, right? Because that's a part that's not often talked about. I think especially in the world of endometriosis, but really in the world of hormones in general, our hormones are kind of vilified, right? Like we talk about how our hormones are out of balance. And so we're feeling irritable. We're getting PMS. We're, we're, you're on your period, like all the things that we whine and complain about and, and don't like, well, really those are symptoms of your hormones being out of balance, but our hormones have enormous benefits for your body right? Your hormones are what allows all the good things to happen in your body. They, they can also allow for your the good qualities of your mood. They can allow for good skin. They, can, they, they have so many health benefits in your body that we're missing out on when you're not producing those natural hormones. And the other flip side of, of birth control that we're not often taught about is the impacts that it has on your body. So we're we are talking about, okay, the impacts that it has on your hormones, but birth control also has huge impacts on your gut. One of the very common things that I see, for example, is that people who have been on birth control, especially for longer periods of time, it leaves your gut very susceptible to infections. Like yeast overgrowth is actually a very, very common thing that happens while you're on birth control, some people like once they come off birth control can end up having this huge yeast overgrowth, which can cause all kinds of uncomfortable gut symptoms, like can, can contribute to bloating and to the IBS type symptoms, your diarrhea, your constipation, your abdominal discomfort. It can cause food cravings. You know, if you're all of a sudden craving sugar and carbs, which you know aren't going to have great impacts on your body in general anyway, 
that can come back to there may be some sort of a yeast overgrowth happening in your body. And the other piece of it too, that is not very talked about is that birth control actually causes a lot of nutrient depletions. It's actually one of the top medications that causes nutrient depletions in your body. Sometimes I'll look up, you know, drugs and how they impact your body. And it may be, oh, it depletes this one nutrient. When you look up birth control, it has a whole list. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot that's, I always tell people, cause a lot of my audience is fertility focused. It's a lot of the minerals that are very important for fertility, B vitamins and iron and so many other minerals. It's, it's, Again, I think it's important to just have this information so people can make an informed choice. And I know a lot of women that I've worked with who tell me like, I can't get off the pill. My doctor said I have endometriosis. It's not safe. Um, we, we need to control the estrogen. And there's this fear of, of what's going to happen naturally with their hormones when they get on birth control. And I would love to hear you talk about a little bit more of the healing process. Cause I know you had your own journey, um, really taking charge of your endometriosis and you've walked so many others through that path. So can you tell us, give us a little hope, what can be done for women who are suffering from endometriosis? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing is that there is so much that you can do, right? It's, I know I felt when I was first diagnosed and I was talking to my doctors and I just felt very, helpless and hopeless, like, you know, oh, sorry, you have this uncurable disease, you're stuck with it for life. Good luck. Here's some pills. <laughs> Maybe you'll have some surgery, you know, good luck. And I, I went home just very confused and feeling very disempowered. And it led me to want to know more. I really wanted to find out, okay, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> what can I actually do to support my body? Because I know I've always understood, at least to an extent, that food is medicine. I've always known that intuitively. I didn't really know much about it when I was younger, but I've always intuitively known that that's true. And I wanted to know more about how I could support my body. So an excellent foundational starting point for everybody is just focusing on flooding your body with nutrients. And that's something that you can do on your own at home, maybe not quite for free, because I guess you have to, you know, have the food, but <laughs> relatively inexpensively in the grand scheme of things. And honestly, my biggest piece of advice when it comes to that is just eating a wide variety of whole foods, get lots of veggies on your plate, you know, get some good organic fruits, focus on whole food sources of protein, you know, eat your, your as best uh, sourced as you can, but at least eating some fresh meat and fish and eggs and poultry and all of the things. That's a wonderful foundational starting point because the more, the more variety that you're getting, the better sourced food that you're getting, you know, if like if it's possible for you to eat organic produce, that's always best because you're avoiding pesticides and herbicides and things like that and tends to have a little more nutrient quality as well. That's a huge starting point because so many of us just aren't getting enough nutrients, period. <laughs> and so if you're focusing in on that, that can have huge impacts on your body right there, especially if you have been on medications that might be depleting some of these nutrients, that can be an excellent place to start. So focusing on getting lots of vegetables in particular, 
lots of variety in the colors that you're eating because getting variety of colors can ensure that you're getting a variety of nutrients. So are you eating things that are green and red and purple and orange and white and blue? And I'm sure I'm missing some colors, but all the colors, (laughs) right? As much variety as you can. So that way it's like nature's multivitamin right there. You're flooding your body with nutrients and that's going to give your body the pieces that it needs in order to begin to heal. So that's step one for for everybody. And then definitely looking at things like we were talking about digestive health earlier, taking some of those simple steps like the rest to digest, deep breaths, sitting down to eat, chewing your food thoroughly uh, is an excellent place to start when it comes to your digestive health. And just with that alone, you might see an improvement in your, in your digestion and in your overall inflammation in your body. Keep working on keeping your blood sugar in balance, right? So eating three balanced meals each day, right? Including protein in each meal, not eating carbs by themselves, you know, trying to keep that blood sugar more stable throughout the day, trying to avoid eating, you know, especially just sugary things by themselves. At least if you're going to have something sweet, we all have to treat ourselves once in a while, but eat it after you've just had a nice protein packed meal. So that it doesn't have quite such big impacts on your blood sugar so that we can help to keep everything, you know, calm and in balance with that. And then Beyond that, there may be people who need some deeper layers of support, you know, like I use functional testing in my practice where we'll dive in and really look at what's going on in your gut so that there's there's some hard data on paper for gut health and hormone health and all kinds of things like that, maybe even looking at blood work. And that can give a deeper picture if that's something that you feel like you need. Maybe you've gone through all of these initial basic steps and feel like you need deeper layers of support. But I am a big believer in that there is so much that you can do to impact your health just by taking those simple steps that we talked about and coming back to those basics, right? Getting getting plenty of sleep, getting sunlight every day so that you're getting that vitamin D exposure. Moving your body is actually a huge piece that a lot of people miss. And it can be very gentle if you're really experiencing a lot of pain and you're not feeling up to a lot. When I say movement, I mean movement. It doesn't have to be hardcore exercise. In fact, something really hardcore may be too much if your body is already experiencing a lot of inflammation and things like that. Maybe you're just going to walk. Maybe you just do some gentle stretching in your living room. It doesn't have to be anything super intense, but moving can be super helpful. And I know for myself, I mean, I started doing a lot of this work just on my own. I was just doing some research and reading and kind of learning about how all of this impacted my body. And I made huge changes in my body just with that alone before I even started digging into the world that I'm in now of learning of all about nutrition and supplements and gut health and hormone balancing and all the things that I've taken a very deep dive into at this point in my life and will continue to dive deeper and deeper into in the future. But before all of that happened, I saw huge impacts in my own healing. I mean, in, just from changing my diet alone within a couple of cycles, my pain went from like a 12 out of 10, like I was talking about earlier, down to maybe a five. Wow. Just 
through my diet. That may not have the same impacts for everybody, of course, but that was my journey. And it just goes to show you how much food does impact your body. Totally. And I I love that sounds funny. Your approach, it's so approachable, but it really is. It's focusing on a lot of the basics. And you actually just mentioned supplements, which I wanted to ask about too. Are there supplements that are generally supportive for people with endometriosis? Is it really dependent on the person? Like, How do you guide people with that? I would say overall, it is very bio-individual, right? There's not like a one-size-fits-all. You should take these exact supplements if you have endometriosis. But that being said, there are some things that I have found to be very supportive for pretty much everybody that can be a good starting point if you're kind of digging into this world and just want to try out some different things on your body. So one of the things that I uh, end up using for for myself, certainly on a regular basis and and end up using with many of my clients is a high quality omega-3 supplement, which uh, it it provides, it help, really helps with reducing inflammation in your body. So it provides some of those high quality fats that your body needs. And many of us tend to be a bit deficient in and, and out of balance with the types of fats we have in our bodies. And that can really be helpful with helping to reduce that inflammation, especially if you're just feeling really, really inflamed and you need to start to calm some of that down. That can be really helpful. Um, one, another one that I use very frequently is magnesium. I really like the form magnesium glycinate. It's a nice, uh, form of magnesium that's gentle on your digestive system. It won't cause any digestive upset. And magnesium is a mineral that many people are very deficient in. I would say most people are deficient in at this point in time, because a medications like birth control can deplete magnesium. That's very common. But also just with our current modern food growing system, magnesium is very depleted in our soils, right? Once upon a time, we used to get magnesium from food. It's very hard, even if you're being very intentional about it, to get enough magnesium in your food these days. So magnesium supplementation is something that I recommend frequently, which can be Uh, an oral supplement. You can also even get magnesium through, you can absorb it even through your skin. So if you don't tolerate magnesium, you know, by taking it orally very well, you can do things like taking an Epsom salt bath, which can be very soothing anyway, because of the heat, or there are products out there that are just topical magnesium gels and creams and oils and things like that, that can be absorbed through your skin. So that's another way to do that. But Magnesium is an important one because one of the magnesium has a lot of jobs in your body, but one of the big things that it does is helps with muscle relaxation and your uterus is a muscle. So if you are experiencing a lot of menstrual cramps, for example, magnesium can be really helpful for calming that down. I love that. Yeah. I actually have this big jar of magnesium flakes that I add to the bath sometimes And I find that there's actually something, the whole ritual of it is very relaxing. I mean, I like taking a bath no matter what, but then when I add in the magnesium flakes, it's really, really calming. And I know you've spoken about all these different pieces that affect endometriosis. I don't know if we've spoken about stress yet, which for sure, of course, it affects your gut microbiome. There's a lot of connections there. But beyond that, talk a little bit about how stress affects endometriosis and when you work with women, how do you see stress 
being a factor? Like, do you think that affects a lot of the flare-ups that people have? And yeah, I would just love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I would say stress is very, very high up on the list of things to think about when it comes to healing your body, because stress impacts everything in your body, right? Stress. So when your body's under stress, we think of that fight or flight mode, right? Where your body thinks it's being chased by a lion or whatever, and gets in that, that sympathetic state, the opposite of that parasympathetic state we were talking about earlier, where you're in that fight or flight mode, where your body feels like there's something wrong. There's something attacking me or, or somehow threatening my life. And it starts to put up those defenses, right? It's going to release the stress hormones like cortisol into your body. And especially when that stress is chronic, where you're just constantly under that fight or flight mode, then it starts to really have impacts on your body because our bodies are built to do that, right? We are built to handle stressful situations, but we're built to handle stressful situations that are more acute, right? Because if you think of if that lion is chasing you, it's going to be chasing you for a short period of time until you run and you get away and you climb a tree or whatever. And then your body gets to calm back down because now that threat is over. But what happens a lot in our modern society is that we have this chronic stress that is just bombarding us all the time. And when we're chronically dealing with that, well, now it starts to impact so many things in your body. It definitely impacts your digestive health because you can't digest well when your body is under that fight or flight mode. Basically, your body's prioritizing survival and not much else. Certainly not digestion, certainly not reproduction, right? It impacts your your hormone production in general and it impacts your body's ability to heal, period, right? When you're constantly under that stress, it's pretty much impossible for your body to really truly get to that place of healing. And I know when I talk about this, I feel like so many people just kind of roll their eyes. So they're like, well, yeah, right. How am I ever supposed to not stress? <laughs> and the point is not to not have any stress in your body or in your life ever. That's that's probably never going to happen. But it's more a matter of A, managing how much stress you do have, because there is a lot that we can do that maybe we don't uh, we think we can't, or we think we can't have any impacts on the stress in our lives, but are there things you can say no to? Are there things you can delegate? Are there changes that you can make in your life that will reduce the actual amount of stress coming in on a day-to-day -day basis? Because that may be a necessary part of your healing. And then the other piece of that is, okay, there's going to be stress impacting your body, how are you going to handle it? How is your body going to deal with it? And that's where the stress management tools come in. So you were talking about that beautiful, relaxing bath. That can be a wonderful tool if that's something that you love. Just that hot water can be soothing. Taking in some time out, putting on some calming music. That's something that I really love to do. I'm really a big advocate for when it comes to stress reduction of, again, movement. Because if you think about that you know, example that everybody comes back to when we're talking about fight and fight or flight mode of you're being chased by something, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be running away. And then when you stop running, your body knows that it can calm down. Not saying that everybody needs to go on a run every day. I personally hate running, but <laughs> can you find some form of movement that you can do so that you can help to release some of that stress? That can be just going on a nice walk. It can be doing some yoga. 
Uh, it can be really anything that feels good to your body where you feel better after you've done that movement, whatever that may be for you. Maybe you like to swim. Maybe you like martial arts. It can be anything, <laughs> right? Um, even using tools like meditation, deep breathing, journaling, just even spending time with loved ones and laughing and snuggling with a pet. I mean, there's so many things that you can do to help to just bring your body into that calmer, more relaxed state. And that's going to really enable your body to come to that place of healing. I love that you brought those up because you gave so many different actionable tips. And I love on this podcast when we can give people very specific things that they could do right now for no money in their home. And I know also sometimes you could hear those things and roll your eyes, be like, okay, sure. Is snuggling with a pet really going to help manage my endometriosis? But there is research on all of these different pieces. It actually does help our nervous system calm down. And like you said, the nervous system needs to be in a resting state in order to divert energy towards healing processes. And I had a question actually about healing with endometriosis because I know that sometimes there is like reversal that's able to happen. And sometimes it's more of like preventing the spread of endometriosis. So when people are coming to you, what is like, what's really the goal? Is it to prevent it from getting worse, to manage the symptoms? Is there a way to completely reverse endometriosis or it's more about living with it and managing it? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the answer to that may end up being very individual as well, because I think it's a matter of, you know, first of all, whether or not you plan on ever going in for surgery, right? Because there, if there's disease in your body, that's there. There are some studies showing that you may be able to, to shrink endo lesions in your body, but that doesn't seem to be anything definitive on that at this point in time. Um, but I do fully believe that if you bring your body back into balance in all the ways that we talked about today, that there is a high possibility of being able to slow down the progress or even stop the progress. I mean, our bodies are amazing, <laughs> right? And I know we're told that endometriosis doesn't have a cure, and I'm certainly not going to claim that I have one, but I do fully believe that our bodies, when when something like endometriosis is happening, when we're, we're having things grow in our body that shouldn't be there and we're having pain and other symptoms, it's your body telling you that something's out of balance and it needs support in some way. And so I'm a firm believer that if we bring your body that support, that that shouldn't end up continuing to then progress because <laughs> now your body has the nutrients that it needs, your digestion is optimized, your immune system has calmed down. So there's no reason for your body to continue to progress in that disease state, right? So yeah, that pathway may look different, but that's that's my thought process. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for all the amazing information you shared. I feel like there was so much that people who might think they're struggling with endometriosis or already diagnosed with endo, they can take from this, but can you tell everyone where they could find you, where they can learn more from you? Um, especially for those who are already struggling with endo. 
So you can find me on my website, which is www.endobellygirl.com. You can even find right on the homepage there, you can find my free course, which takes you through a few days of some of the simple steps we talked about today, kind of walk you through that. So you can download that. You can also find me on Instagram at endobellygirl and connect with me there. Feel free to send me a DM, say hi, and uh, I'm always happy to connect with people. Okay. Amazing. I love the name Endo Belly Girl, by the way. When I first thought, I was like, oh, I just, I love that. It's like taking ownership of it and I I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Amazing. Alyssa, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. Thank you so much for listening to the About Health and Hormones podcast. If you loved today's episode, I would love to know please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so I can make this podcast even better for you all. I would love to connect with you. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition or head to my website, www.laurenallennutrition.com to learn about my coaching programs and stay up to date on all of my latest workshops and courses. I am so glad you are here today and I wish you all health and happiness.